Hi, I'm Stephanie. Hi, I'm Mitzi. Hi, I'm Chris. Hi, I'm Rhea. And this is Virtual Hallway, the podcast where we talk about teaching online. Today, we're discussing formative assessments for an online classroom. Formative assessments are any work that students do to help them learn new information or practice new skills, but are not meant to test or demonstrate mastery of those skills. These assessments are usually low stakes, meaning they may be ungraded or assigned low point values, and they are usually graded for completion, not quality. They are almost always the lead up to summative assessments, which measure mastery, course outcomes, or determine whether a student is ready to move on to the next course in a sequence. Some basic examples of formative assessments include things like class or small group discussion, reading responses or reading journal entries, practice or low stakes quizzes, poster presentations, metacognitive or reflective writing, short homework assignments, and so on. These apply to, you know, every discipline could have and should have formative assessments. And uh, eventually they lead to some kind of summative assessment that is sort of proof that the student is ready to move on in the sequence. For those of you uh, who are hearing this for the first time, maybe you haven't thought much about the difference between the types of assessment. Uh, I have a quick analogy. It's not perfect, but let's say you're learning about music and you're playing piano, you're playing guitar, whatever it is. All of the formative assessment would take place in the stages of learning scales and arpeggios. And then using those scales and arpeggios to create musical phrases, and then later writing or learning a musical composition that requires those previous skills, practicing that piece alone or with accompaniment, maybe a band, maybe a punk rock band like we were talking about earlier. We'll see who signs up. And then that leads to the summative assessment where we really find out if it is authentically been learned. And that's where we have someone perform a piece of music in front of an audience or they record it. So this is the rubber hits the road moment. Before this, everything is preparing for that. So when we say assessment for formative, the assessment part is basically checking in to see if a student is going through the process, if a student has, you know, maybe a misunderstanding of a concept, or to make sure that a student is making progress towards being able to perform the task they're being asked to perform effectively. Uh, so right now, I just want to ask, what type of formative assessments do you guys do in your classes? Okay, so uh, why don't I jump in and start? Um, <clears throat> well, normally, <laughs> um, we're doing a lot of group work um, with the opportunity for like students to like make mistakes. Um, there's that 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 space, and I, and I think that and that making mistakes mistakes I think is a very important part of the learning process. Um, and really, I think that I think the entire uh, course throughout the entire semester should be designed um, with formative assessments in the manner that everything should be formative assessment. I mean, every exam, every midterm should be an opportunity to make mistakes and to learn from those mistakes. I mean, I think the idea is that the, by the end of the semester, they should have mastered the material. So, what, really, why do we have these these exams, these hills to die on? You know. Uh, why can't we have this exam and have an opportunity to retake it and learn from the mistakes of the first time we took the exam? Um, and I think that that goes a long way in establishing a culture in the classroom of of, of learning. Of, of of it just changes the whole dynamics. Like okay, uh, this whole growth mindset that I'm 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 going to make a mistake. I'm going to learn from it, and I'm okay with that. Yeah, I like that art. This idea that if you really think about it, all of it's really formative. Um, and I, I, in being in English, you know, our, our summative assessments are usually the essays and those essays, you know, hit at certain points, usually after a unit um, or, you know, a couple different readings. Um, and I like the idea too of even my quote unquote summative assessments, the, the, the essays themselves, um, I usually give opportunities, obviously during the um, formative, having rough drafts, having them get feedback on the rough drafts is definitely a quintessential formative assessment. But even the summative assessment, I usually give them the option um, as a semester goes to choose one of their essays, their final draft essays to revise. So again, creating that idea that even the summative assessments, there's room to grow and you can still, you know, learn from it. Um, so I like that kind of thinking about it like that too. I think one of the other important elements of formative assessment is that it, it should 
inform our instruction. So it's, it's a place to give feedback to students, but also they're giving feedback to us so that we can see, okay, you know, read the room, so to speak, what are, where are my students struggling? So for me, I do, um, as, as Stephanie mentioned, um, a lot of formative assessment leading up to an essay, a final essay. So um, for example, with a research essay, I might, I do have students um, submit their research proposal. Um, in an English 1C class, they may have a lot more freedom um, for to choose a topic. So they will submit a proposal with a broad research question and then some guiding questions that would go along with that. Um, I asked them some other questions about, you know, why, why would they choose this topic? Why should we care about the topic? That sort of thing. Um, if I'm giving students more focused um, direction on the types of topics that they're writing on, maybe on an earlier essay, an argument or an analysis essay, or maybe in an English 1A class, um, it won't be so open um, in terms of topic choice, but those those same principles still apply. So, um, what is your what what is your plan for your argument? What are you going to be arguing? That sort of thing. Um, and so, students will submit that in writing um, to me directly, and I'm the only one that sees it sometimes. And then sometimes I have them put it in a discussion forum. Often I do both. And so that way they are able to see other people's ideas. And it, it gives me a pretty good gauge of how the class is doing. So if I see as a group, there are issues like maybe students are choosing something that's way, way, way too broad for the, um, the length of the essay, I may cycle back and say, okay, we need, you know, here's what we're going to talk about in terms of focusing the topics down a bit. Um, and then beyond that, um, again, as Stephanie mentioned, rough drafts, and I usually have them do a bunch of different steps before the final draft is due, depending on the course. So they'll do their proposal, they may submit their thesis statement, depending on what essay it is, their claim. Um, early on, if it's, if it's a research paper, that comes much later. Um, and so there are a bunch of different steps prior to actually submitting their summative assessment. Um, I do um, do some quizzes in my classes, but um, typically they're, they're in quiz format, but they're not necessarily traditional quizzes, so I, I hate even that terminology. But one of, the, um, one of the quizzes I give that I would say is formative assessment is on MLA format and, um, and a few other ideas that are related to um, organization of, of writing and that sort of thing. But that is also um, that MLA format quiz that I give students has, they have multiple attempts and really it's something where I can go in and look at the analytics and see, okay, they're really struggling. They, they missed this question twice that has to do with in-text citations or integrating quotes. And so that tells me that's something I need to go back and, and look at. And it's not worth a lot of points and they can keep taking it until they get 100%, which is also manipulating them as a keep returning back to the material, hopefully, so they remember some of those details a little bit. Something um, I'm definitely hearing is that there are a couple, you know, related elements here. And one of them is that the formative assessments a lot of you are using uh, involve multiple people. It's not just one student and then you sort of intervene with feedback. It's, it's a small group. It's a whole class. And that gives you the opportunity to, you know, take the temperature, I guess, is one way to say it, but also to intervene in more specific ways. If we're using, you know, now sort of outdated acceleration terminology, we'd call this just-in-time remediation, right? We're we're learning what the real time needs of the student are so we can adjust our teaching. Um, but we're also looking at um, one really important aspect is that uh, formative assessment is iterative in nature. So um, if a, if a student can on, only has one chance to do it and is not able to adjust it, is not able to add to it, is not able to make any changes, it's not that formative in nature, right? It's because that's not a realistic um, or real world thing that you're going to run into. Um, I think all of us in our professional lives, you know, as teachers, but also outside, we know that products that are delivered or, you know, any task that you're supposed to complete takes a couple stages. It goes through stages of feedback. It goes through revision. It goes through some sort of interaction before it is quote unquote delivered. So um, that's what I'm hearing so far. And I, you know, obviously 
you can probably tell that that my opinion is that that is what formative assessment should be. Um, what do you guys think? And yeah, to build off that, giving them chances to check their themselves. Um, one type of essay that I'm currently in the process of stealing from Ria, actually, um, <laughs> that she did, that I uh, that she shared with me, that I absolutely loved, was an MLA type of um, uh, quiz, where the student you give them three. Um, readings and you say, okay, put these in an MLA um, works cited page as it would appear in your paper, right? And so they submit it and then within the canvas, um, there is a, an ability to have a pop-up. So it's like, okay, once they've submitted it, then this thing, this little, you know, blurb pops up and says, okay, how are you feeling about how you did? Check your answer here. And then you click on it and it shows what it should look like. So they've submitted it, they've worked through it, they've, you know, maybe, um, you know, had some missteps along the way and then they go, oh, okay, I see what I did there. Then they can look and see what the actual answer is. And again, you know, depending on how you want to grade it, but grading just for completion. It's like, okay, you get the full points if you've submitted it. Um, you know, uh, that way it's it's a check complete, but they have to at least go through that process of looking up how or, you know, looking at the resources that you've provided to then create that works cited page, but then they can check their own answers right away too. And, you know, kind of see that visually and get feedback. They seek out the feedback, I guess you could say. I think, Chris, like you also hit on like another point how formative assessment could be a group activity uh, of sorts. Um, and I think that's something that kind of really connects to this idea that um, learning has a social dimension to that. And, um, you know, it, where, where students can learn from the mistakes in their groups off one another with each, with each other, which kind of takes the pressure off the instructor as well. And so if you can design that element into your course, I think it's very powerful because I think many of our students will learn more and will listen to each other more than they'll listen to the instructor, you know. And, and also there's that aspect that um, in, in, in learning something, we kind of, we kind of move, we're moving things, new knowledge from short-term memory to long-term memory. And that opportunity for students to discuss their mistakes in groups um, or with each other, one another, that I think is another opportunity, a dimension um, of, of really, well, I guess authentic learning, um, long-term learning. Yeah, memory consolidation I, is uh, has a has a big benefit from multimodal expression. So, if somebody, for example, if someone tries a math problem, shows it to someone, and then talks about it, and then listens to someone else talk about it, it's much more likely to quote unquote stick. I guess is the way to say it. Sorry, Ria, I interrupted you. That's okay, Chris. I just wanted to jump in because I liked that Art had mentioned the social aspects, and then I also in answering this question of what uh, what we do as formative assessments. I like to think of formative, uh, a synonym for it is practice. And since we're uh, using the uh, analogy of music and I'm almost thinking about it like band practice. And each week the band members get together and they practice these songs and they're trying to get them perfect, but they're not. And they're giving each other feedback and they're gearing up for what their goal is. And that's what I wanted to actually start with. Um, before everyone else got me thinking about band practice. Um, <laughs> but formative assess assessments come after deciding what the summative assessment is. So I think I know when I create my formative assessments, I do it backwards. And I think what are the skills that the students will need for the summative? And then I design my formative. And so that's just the approach I take. And because I'm also in English, our summative assessments are essays. I break down what the essays, what skills are needed for that particular essay. And then I create my assessments accordingly. Um, I guess the same way I would if I was, um, you know, performing with my band, I would decide, all right, this is the, the final product that we need. So let's do these, let's do this set list. But even so when you're performing with your band, when you're practicing and, uh, and the band members make mistakes, we go back and we practice again. Nobody says, oh, you got it wrong. You're out of the band, you know? So I love that analogy. And it um, depends on what band you were in. I don't know. Yeah, I suppose, right? Yeah, that's a good point. Um, but I, I love that idea too of, of really focusing on the learning. And so again, when we're talking about the pieces of, of an essay and, and preparing for that summative assessment and that final argument essay or that final research paper, um, you know, allowing students to go back and, 
and redo those initial those early assignments if they miss the mark a little bit I think is really is really key because it's not about we're te I'm testing you to see if your your introduction and your rough work cited page are perfect I want to see how the process is working for the students so if they miss the mark then having them redo it or allowing them to redo it um, before moving on is really pretty important because otherwise, um, you know, what's, what's the point of moving on if they're not getting that, that piece down in, um, in the first place is the foundation for the, the final essay. Yeah, and something Chris said earlier reminded me of that old sort of med school imperative of watch one, do one, teach one, right? So you kind of watch the process go, you do it yourself, and then you learn so much more when you have to break it down and teach it to somebody else. So again, in that group setting where even if you had um, some sort of formative assessment where you had experts on a particular topic that then had to teach it to the rest of the class, that there's another level there of trying to understand it enough to explain it to somebody else after you've maybe seen it done, you know, done it yourself, and now you have to break it down and teach it. I want to thank you for that one, Stephanie. I really love that. Watch one, uh, do one, teach one. Yeah. I'm, I'm, try I'm trying to transition over from um, I revise my, my assessments, but I'm trying to move over into authentic, you know, teaching and learning. I'm like, how do I make that work and fit? And that, that, that perfectly encapsulates where I want to go. Have, having students become teachers, in essence, or having them take ownership of that process is really effective. I mean, that's, that's something we all um, know from reading a whole bunch of stuff. I'm not expressing myself very effectively. Um, but, you know, if we're going back to good old Peter Elbow, you know, he always says that the least important person in any class is the teacher. <laughs> um, and so theoretically, if you have designed your course backwards from the summative assessments, like Rio was saying, then the formative assessments lead naturally up there, right? If we're using another buzzword, that's called scaffolding. Um, and then if you zoom out a little bit, it's also important to consider what the goal of the whole class is. So what is the what is going to be the summative uh, test or the summative assessment that the student is going to take that is beyond your class. So in a class in a sequence, it's really easy because you have the next step. So in English 1A, we kind of have English 1C, right, as our next step that our students are going to take. But, in, you know, in other disciplines, it's a much more um, regimented system of steps, um, for, for a course sequence. So one thing that's really important for, you know, any teacher is to know that, you know, why does the student need these skills? Why am I even testing this? Why am I even seeing if they can write a research paper? And the short answer is because they will be asked to do so in the future, maybe not in MLA style, but in another writing situation for another class. And then if you really zoom out, well, when are they ever going to have to write a research paper or an argument-driven paper? Or when are they ever going to have to find uh, the axis, the y-intercept or whatever outside of college? What, why they're going to college in the first place? Probably a career, a job. And how do we make our formative assessments connect not only to our courses you know, summative assessment, but later in the sequence of their education and then after their education is technically over? That wasn't really a question, so I apologize for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got a little. Yeah, I might have to cut that down. I got on my soapbox a little bit. Um, but that's but that's also really thought provoking, and I think that you know I joke about MLA format, and I've I've told my students, you know, no, no job is ever going to say to you, okay, so today here's what I want you to do. I want you to sit down and do some research, find five credible sources, MLA format, seven to nine pages, double space. Well, that would be MLA format anyway on my desk and, you know, a week. But those um, critical thinking skills and organizational skills and credible sources and being able to research and curate information, those are skills that could likely come up in, um, in the workplace. And even, even MLA format in terms of um, documenting source information, but also, you know, it is about being detail oriented. So um, I think that that's, that's a key skill as, as well. So I try to come at it a little bit from that angle too, because, um, because you know, they're not gonna need to know MLA format in their jobs unless they become English teachers. And even then, you know, things change. So we still, we still need to look things up. So I think that that, 
looking forward to the next course, but also uh, wherever they transfer to or um, you know, the workplace is, is really important that we keep those, those details in mind as well. Yeah, I do the same thing, Mitzi. I try and, you know, talk about how maybe not the specific things, but the the skills around it and knowing it will help them later on. And I talked to you about, you know, maybe it's not MLA, but, you know, uh, if you go work for a company or you go work um, in a particular job, they're going to expect you to write an email a certain way, a memo, a, right, there's going to be a, a, a policies and procedures and some sort of format. And depending on the company or corporation, they may be really strict about how they, how you turn those types of things in. And so being aware of that kind of stuff too is uh, beneficial. But maybe I getting... agree. <laughs> <laughs> I concur. <laughs> you concur, Art? I concur. Uh, but maybe getting back more to the specifically the formative assessments, um, I, I do want to say again, as a safe space, um, especially with um, COVID and the uh, everything that was going on, um, I was guilty of uh, maybe putting in a few multi, uh, multi choice, multiple choice <laughs> uh, auto graded quizzes here and there, which I had never done in my in person class, um, or very rarely. And I did a couple of those, um, maybe more than I, I would care to admit or like, um, and uh, just just how that idea of the sort of multiple choice does not produce maybe the, as the authentic learning, um, depending on, on how it, it's used, because that can be something that is not as good of a formative assessment, maybe. What do you guys think? Well, I, I also think, I, I think of quizzes as... Um, as a learning tool also. So, you know, in the, in the online world, um, you know, we are going to assume that every, every quiz, air quotes quiz we give is open book, open notes. Um, and so I know for me, one of the things that I do um, is I will write multiple choice quiz questions, again, kind of air quotes quiz, with the intention that these are important details in the reading that I really want students to know. So, um, and I give them a lot of time to do the quiz. So even though if for usually my quizzes um, will have, and I don't do a lot of quizzes, but usually they'll have some multiple choice, um, maybe a couple true false. Um, and then I like to do short answer questions that tend to be more like, okay, in this essay, what was the, um, what's the author's main argument and what are some supporting details? So some things like that. Uh, and then also, you know, the practical application, this, this section deals with, um, with civil rights or this section deals with police reform how does this apply to our world today that sort of thing but the multiple choice questions and because i give them a lot of time and because i explicitly state have your book handy have your notes handy um, i may ask them questions that i want them to look in the book if they don't remember because there's something really important there there's an important point made especially in the the essays in the textbook, um, I think, often make really valid points. And so I'm, I'm intentional in that respect. So while, yes, it's a quiz, it's, I often view it as a teaching tool. So that's why I, I always, I, I bristle a little bit sometimes when we talk about quizzes because I use the quiz format in Canvas for a lot of different things that aren't really, it's not really an exam or this high stakes. They're typically not worth a lot of points. It's more of a way of manipulating students to look at what I think is important in the reading, to be honest. You're exactly that, right. I mean, I, yeah. uh, that is what, you know, the intention too behind the ones I did. And, and yeah, anyway, go ahead, Ria. Stephanie, I think perhaps maybe what you were speaking of is you were concerned that your formative assessments were falling on the traditional end of the spectrum as opposed to authentic assessment, authentic assessment. And given our circumstances, COVID, these different, you know, the reason why we're online and kind of how we had to scramble. Despite that, I mean, I, I don't know if you necessarily have to be as, um, ashamed of your your multiple choice quizzes as um as you're saying you are because my, my hidden shame so yeah I should... your hidden shame because <laughs> so, I, I think the the goal is that you have 
you have both, right? So you have assessments that do um, assess the knowledge that they have acquired, and then you have authentic assessment that assesses the skills that they can then perform with that knowledge. So as you, as we know, because you've said being an English professor, your authentic assessments are essays. So they are going to take those that knowledge that they learned in those quizzes and apply it in these tests, I'm sorry, in these essays, you know, and, and this isn't my analogy, but since I'm really big on analogies tonight, um, this is, this is from the, from the website uh, by John Mueller, um, the authentic assessment toolbox, which we'll provide a link in the show notes later. And he says, let's say that you were trying to um, hire a chauffeur and you have one that's passed the written driving portion. And then you have, you know, another one who is past the, the physical driving exam. And of the two, you know, you would probably choose the one who has the skills from the physical test that have passed that test, right? Where they perform the action. But ideally you would want a chauffeur that has passed both, right? And I mean, that's how we then get our drivers, I'll get our driver's licenses. So, you know, I think Stephanie, maybe you're, you are, looking at it from another, you could look at it from another angle and say, okay, you know, well, this is the, the written portion of the driving test that my students need in order to later drive the car. Yeah. And I do tend to use those kind of multiple choice for more of the structure versus the content. So um, when teaching, uh, you know, talking about specific um, structures of like essays um, and terminology that maybe the book uses that I, that I assign, um, sort of quizzing them on that. And like you said, Mitzi, you know, um, pointing them at the directions where I think they need to be. It's like, oh, you know, and that's, and as a student too, I remember using quizzes in that way as well. Like, oh, this is what I was supposed to be paying attention to. Um, oh, these were the terms that I needed to kind of know. And this is what I was maybe supposed to get from that reading. And that is beneficial in its own way. We've been talking a lot about uh, formative and, and uh, summative assessments, but <clears throat> I like where Rhea is going with the idea of, of trying to tap into authentic knowledge and authentic learning. Um, this idea where, you know, uh, giving the opportunity for students like to demonstrate their knowledge and their knowing their knowledge um, beyond like what's our, our typical tools, especially in mathematics, you know, being midterms and quizzes. Um, but this opportunity for like students to like to like to showcase what they know and to showcase their creative abilities in in the discipline. So like, for example, in statistics, the opportunity for students to like show that they've gone out there and they, they've designed a, a study, they've conducted, they've, they've organized the data, they've summarized it, and they're presenting it, and they're making inferences on it. I think that's that's so so powerful in a statistics class. And that's something I'm, 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 I'm need to tap into. Well, maybe not right now in, the, in, in, in COVID-19 days, I don't really don't want my students going out there and surveying <laughs> you know 60 people that would probably not be a bad idea but you know what you know what i mean social media survey facebook okay surveys. okay that's what google forms is for send that out yeah thank you i can think of all kinds of uh, authentic assessments that i wish i had learned in math some of those being you know how to figure out a mortgage and interest rate um how <laughs> yeah. to do my how to do my taxes, how to figure out what my college debt is going to be. Those would all have been very authentic assessments for me because they would have been extremely useful rather than, what is that? Y equals M plus B? I don't think I've ever used that again. Sure. How to, how, I think the most useless thing is how to factor a trinomial, which no one knows why it's Yeah, I don't even know not. what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there's, I mean, there's, there's ways to do it. And, and one of the things we know is that, you know, I, there might be some exceptions, I don't know, but, but I can't think of a class that El Camino offers that doesn't practice a skill or help students gain knowledge that isn't authentic in its application. But I do, pro I do assume that there are several classes where they're not necessarily practicing that actual application. They're just sort of, um, you know, engaged in a rote um, practicing of the terms or learning of the process without any connection to the final actual task. Um, and, you know, something with quizzes, which is interesting, is that um, 
one of the goals of a quiz could be, as you guys have been saying, uh, reminding a student to look at their resources, right? Reminding students to open the book because that's where all the answers are. And of course, that's an important skill. It sounds stupid, but it's an important skill to remember that you have resources, remember that you have access, and try to figure out where the answer is in any sort of textbook. That is actually a valuable skill. It's not what the course is measuring, of course, so it shouldn't be worth a lot of points, but it is something that is valuable. Um, and I think that quizzes also have an added benefit, and that's that students have been traumatized into thinking they matter, right? Um, so we can sort of use that as a leverage point to say, hey, to, to bring them in to make them pay attention to the quiz, but then reassure them that this is not worth that many points. This is, you're able to retake this many times. I also, I do unlimited. Um, whenever I do a quiz, it's worth at most 10 points. I do unlimited retries. Um, and the goal is basically, of course, to have them make sure they know how to use a particular phrase, how to apply a particular concept. Um, and in different disciplines, it might be something like remembering that one historical event took place before another, or, you know, in chemistry, remembering that one particular chemical reaction has a strong or a weak effect, et cetera, and so on. Um, aside from, from quizzes, um, what are, and we, we definitely talked about discussion and stuff like that. Do we have any other, um, formalized, that is to say graded formative assessments, um, that you guys use or maybe that you find really helpful? I concur. <laughs> Thank you, Art. <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for you to go, Art. You look like you really wanted to say something. <laughs> just I concur. Uh, it, it was, no, it was, no, I was just going to like uh, echo, you know, what uh, Chris <laughs> said. I mean, it's like, yeah, you taking tests. Um, that's, that's pretty much where I'm at. <laughs> I don't have any original ideas past that. I can add. <laughs> For grading of formative assessments, they're all they all count something, but they're typically just all or nothing points. They do the work, they get the points, so it doesn't have to be perfect. So that the focus is not on perfection, like we've been talking about, but on trying, playing, experimenting, all of that. Um, I typically apply. Well, I guess that's an, I think there's another question where you ask about when do we give feedback. So I'll hold off there. But yeah, all my formative assessments are given points, credit, no credit. Mm. I, I do the same thing. I, I'm, uh, I've been reading a lot about um, labor-based grading and stuff like that, which is a discussion for another day. But I think that this is a good opportunity for us to acknowledge that if you did the work, if you turned something in that is not, you know, totally off, whatever, um, that you are actively engaging and trying to do something. I think that it's a really valuable thing to show that, you know, your effort, even if your answer, you know, depending on the type of course, even if your answer ends up being wrong, your effort in engaging with the topic still has value. And you're still being, you know, if we're looking at this from a very traditional standpoint, you're still being rewarded for your active participation in learning about the concepts in maybe sharing them with others in maybe trying to work them out on your own. Um, yeah, I, th I think it's just super important and super valuable to be able to show them, look, even though you might be scared about your grammar, even though you might be scared about getting every step of a problem perfect, I'm still acknowledging that you did this work, that you tried it, that it's not easy and I'm acknowledging that it might even be scary for you to share this with me, your teacher. So I think that that's really valuable. You know, you know, I, I want to, uh, that's, that's great. That the way you put that, I mean, I think it's so extremely important, especially going back to statistics, you know, where what I'm seeing, it, it's so much more, teaching stats is so much more fun than teaching your typical uh, algebra based math class, just because you had this opportunity to like really uh, incorporate a lot of English and a lot of um, uh, this idea of voicing ideas. And one of the biggest challenges I'm having in stats is just having people just engage in the in the reading comprehension, and and trying to figure out a way to have them engage in them in the way that you're putting it with low stakes, so they can just simply talk about the problem because there's so there's there's so many issues with just understanding what is being said, the words that are being used, and what's being described, uh, and, and that's that's something where I'm failing in right now, and 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 so, and I'm thinking like you maybe like discussions on Canvas for a few points just giving him, telling him that, you know, the only wrong answer is no answer. You know, just, just, just talking about the problem, just 
reading through it and dissecting it, understanding the English. Damn that English. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I think that's a great idea. When I took stats, that would have helped me for sure. Um, and actually, the math class I did well in was an applied algebra class where it was all just solving like problems. You, like the, the trick was you had to figure out which equations were appropriate to reach certain answers. Um, but yeah, I mean, and having like for reading comprehension for any time we have a reading that I, especially a difficult one, I try to have students pick out a quote that you thought was important or maybe confusing and explain why you chose it. And that's how you get credit is you put up a quote, try MLA, we'll fix it if it's wrong, but no points lost and explain what you thought about it. And then if I notice that someone, you know, maybe they missed the point that's okay. We can discuss it. I can interject a little bit to guide them towards it. And when it comes to something that includes numbers, that includes data, which is so important to reading comprehension, especially if we're going to try to, you know, raise up informed voters is, you know, showing them that the language of mathematics and the language of English have this inherent connection because they still have things like logic. They have equal signs, plus signs, cause and effect, all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, and so Matt, Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, yeah, math stirs the conversation. Mm -hmm. so, so I'm thinking, Art, I want to teach an English 1C stats class, team, te team teacher, <laughs> English, English 1C stats class with you. How fun would that be? That's totally doable. I was totally thinking the same thing, Mitzi. And I was just, <laughs> when Art was saying, I was like, you know, my, and when Chris was saying his favorite math class, my favorite math class was stats. And um, I liked it because, uh, you know, uh, the professor had us go out and survey and like gather the data to then, you know, uh, organize. And um, I was able to actually link it. I was in a sociology class at the time where we had to do a research paper and we had to go out and like interview people for X, Y, and Z. And so I was able to kind of combine the two, right? Do the, the uh, statistical analysis of the data for my stats class, but then also use that data in my research paper for my sociology class. So this idea of, I think that goes back to the formative too and the real world kind of connection, but also that interconnection among the um, the classes that they're taking too and and how those are linked and how you can you know see how what you're doing here will also help you in these other classes maybe not even down the road but just right now you know I think it's so great that Stephanie is looking up as she's ha as if she's having a conversation with Mitzi who's looking down it's kind of like a la Brady Bunch <laughs> <laughs> hey Chris how's it going <laughs> <laughs> What Art and Stephanie brought up makes me think about how we can further these linked courses. So like in FYE, they pair up an English course with another course from a different discipline. And then I know as we move into the meta majors, we may find more ways to link classes. And actually one of our, um, well, our colleagues in math had written up a page on he titled it Myth and Measurement, African-Americans in the United States, and it's for his stats class and looking at how statistics have been used unethically to create enduring and false myths about African-Americans. And I just thought that would be so awesome to link with an English 1C class because really you need that kind of training to call through those statistics and really understand what's being communicated there. Well, actually, no, you can make your own inferences and then write about those in your paper for, for 1C. And so I just got really excited about that and just moving forward and things that we could, we could do here. That really gets to that authentic assessment, too. I think those interdisciplinary um, courses or projects um, really lead to some awesome um, authentic assessments. Um, I, in my previous life teaching high school, I taught a, a, it was a hybrid interdisciplinary world history English class for sophomores. And um, that I team taught with the world history teacher. And one of the, one of my most glorious moments in all my years teaching was um, having students do an oral history project. And so they were taking what they had learned in history about how history is gathered and how to be a historian and then you know the, the written part on my end 
and um, students had to find somebody to interview. We had a lot of guidelines um, for how they did this. And then they had to produce an audio recording of the interview and then present it to the class. And there were some other components um, involved in the whole process. But it was one of the most amazing experiences I've ever had as a teacher. It was, the, it was just such a cool authentic assessment from teenagers um, and it could not have happened without team teaching and, and bringing in the history side and the English side together. Yeah, I think one way, I mean, if we're talking about authentic assessment, there's no better example than if a student did well in a, in a stat class, then they should be able to apply that same knowledge in an English 1C class if we ask them to look at like a logical fallacy of, you know, distorting the facts. You know, one of the big things that you, you'll see the statistics of is, you know, during this current environment with some of the Black Lives Matter protests is people might bring up the argument, oh, well, more white people are shot by police than black people. And of course, that could be very convincing to someone who doesn't understand statistics or percentages, right? And it's especially to someone who's an expert in math and statistics, it's almost so basic, it's barely worth commenting on. But I actually have this conversation with my students all the time because they'll see that on social media or something and I'll say, yeah, but look at the proportion, look at the amount of total people of color in the United States versus white people. And then you'll start to see where the problem is. It's not the, it's not the total number, it's the percentage. Um, and on on the exact other hand of it is that if we're doing our job as English teachers, students should be prepared to read math problems. You know, even though they might get confused about some of the numbers, whatever, but they should be ideally prepared to read and understand and analyze a history book or, you know, a psychological report or anything like that. And um, question who's writing that history. Exactly. And, you know, qui bono, right? Who is this for? Who benefits from this? Um, you know, what's, there's another famous question, who's missing from the story? Um, and so, yeah, that's, I, I think that's a, that's a really good way, especially in the middle term while they're still in college. One way to measure how well we've done at authentic assessment is, are they able to apply these, these skills cross-disciplinarily? Disciplinarily, is that a word? I'm an English teacher, I should know. Uh, say yes to that. Yes. Sure. Yeah, okay. I would agree. I got the thumbs up. Point, I, I concur. <laughs> I concur. In many class, good, right, read. Yeah. <laughs> so let's let's talk about a couple quick details here. Um, so when you guys do your formative assessments, the quizzes that have unlimited attempts, the you know group work in class stuff like that, do you have? We've talked about having low grades or no grades or grading just on a, you know, plus minus, did you do it full credit? Did you not do it? No credit. What are your actual uh, policies? Is there anything we haven't talked about yet in terms of what grades you apply to these? Yes, if they submit it late. Mm. So that's the only time that the, the, there might be variation. Yes, and that can get tricky if you're using Canvas and you are selecting the complete incomplete option for grading. So while I like what that communicates rather than a point system, I, I've had to move away from it if I want to implement a late principle because you can't implement a late principle with the complete and complete. Um, so they get all or nothing if they do it on time. Yeah, and if we're uh, thinking of a formative assessment of, uh, for example, a discussion post, um, or even a, like a response, I've, I've started to do where they have like a range of like an A and they would get the lower end of A if they just, just made the bare minimum. And I started doing this for discussion posts because I kept getting students that would technically meet, but just barely meet whatever minimum. It's like, okay, minimum this many words, you've got to make sure to answer all the questions in the prompt and you've got to do this. And they would meet that, but it was like, not it was there but it wasn't great and then i would have these people who were you know students who were writing these like you know you know essay length responses that were beautiful and i was like oh, i kind of want to reward them for that extra and so i i made it very clear you know if it, it for example 10 points you get the full 10 points if you meet and exceed and you get nine points if you just meet the you know requirements it's still an a the nine is still an a but that 10 is that extra little incentive to maybe go beyond or to at least you know show that you've engaged even more um just because i just kept finding that yeah there was this minimum and 
maybe giving that extra, you know, range or that just kind of extra bump helped. That's a good point. And I'm also, it's making me think about that the assignment has to be complete to get the full credit. It can't just be a half completed outline because I use outlines and drafts for my formative and points. They definitely won't get the full points if it's not done from beginning to end. That's that's what I do too. So I, I've started using the Canvas rubric tool for almost every submission. Um, and I've always used it for um, the essays and, and larger assignments, but I'm, I'm using it now even for these formatives. So I mentioned the research paper proposal, rough draft. I also have students turn in um, an introduction, um, outline, notes, rough work cited. And so if they're missing one of those elements, then they don't get full credit, but it does get bumped back to them. They can resubmit it. So for example, I just had students um, submit those and a few did not include the rough work cited. And that's pretty critical because I want to look to see if they have enough sources and if they are, um, if they're credible sources so that I can address that again, that informing instruction and giving feedback, right? So if I have a student who is only citing High Times and Leafly for their essay, I'm going to direct them that perhaps they need to look at some other credible sources. But if they don't have, if they don't include a work cited, they're not going to get full credit, but they can still um, resubmit it with that rough work cited. And Rhea, you mentioned about late submissions. I'm a little um, looser on the late submissions on those pieces of the, um, the, the process for the essay. Um, I have a due date, but typically I leave it open for a few days. And as long as they get it in early enough so that I can give them feedback that will be useful enough for them to do the next, complete the next step, then I typically don't, um, I don't dock them points on those. Um, other, other formative assessments I would, but on that, um, those types, I typically don't dock them for late submissions. Well, I use an online homework system for um, a lot of, a uh, fair amount of my stuff, homeworks and quizzes. And, you know, I'm very kind of lenient on the, on those deadlines. Um, but in, in, in the STEM fields, you know, there's, there's this culture um, that, that really doesn't really stray too much from, from the tradition of you know, a couple of midterms and a final, and that's, that's the entire grade. Um, and and you know one way I, th I suppose of, of trying to um, introduce someone to 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 straying from that uh, traditional approach is to think about you know not just retaking exams but like um, allowing students to retake exams but like kind of raising the bar a bit I suppose if if you're going at a zero to one hundred point scale it's like okay well you can retake exams up to three times but there, our goal of passing is eighty percent so that kind of like and and that's something we've been able to to do to um, um, to get interest and buy-in um, is this idea like, wow, you, you, that you really are raising, I don't want to say rigor, but you, know, you really are raising the bar sure. and that seems to be like a trade-off that some STEM instructors might be willing to, to do. I think that's a good point. And I think that, you know, a formative assessment doesn't necessarily need to be easy. Um, I definitely, you know, it's, it's great to ask students a complicated question or a difficult question and just hear what their response is to it. Um, and, you know, we might go a little easy on the grading part of it, but the, the task itself can definitely be a really intense task or a really rigorous type of concept. That's a great point, Chris. I really like that and, and our, that notion of it being a challenging task, but it doesn't mean it has to be graded in such a way that it's high stakes for the student, but definitely having that rigorous, challenging task. I, that's, I, I like that description a lot. I, I really try to stay away from the word rigor because it's been used too often in the math department uh, as a proxy for like just failing as many people as possible. So if you fail a lot sure. of people, yeah. then you have, you have high rigor, really, yeah. which is like ridiculous. Um, but, yeah, I hear you. <clears throat> Yeah, but you know, um, and and also a lot of our a lot of our math classes are not rigorous, but they but they are very stressful. I mean, they appeal to like the lowest forms of Bloom's taxonomy. Now, you, I would hardly call that rigorous. Yeah, I think, and you know, in, English classes uh, run the gamut as well, right? We we still have English teachers doing things like uh, grammar tests that are worth half of the midterm essay, you know, stuff like this. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's, it's a similar thing where, you know, it's not that a grammar test or quiz has zero instructive value. It's that that's not really what we're, we're not trying to teach them to be perfect grammarians. We're trying to teach them to write effectively in different situations and to be able to affect a more academic tone if that's what's called for, you know, so we want them to know these things and we, we hope that they increase their vocabulary, but that is not the goal. Those aren't the root skills that we really want them to be able to leave college with, right? I mean, we saw this all the time with the the old placement test is that a lot of students could take the test and place into English 1A, but when it came to actually application or turning words and ideas into a paragraph, they couldn't do it. Whereas some students would be in English B or English A, and they could do the more difficult part. They just didn't remember what a gerund was, or they didn't remember how to make sure that a, you know, a certain subject and verb agreed with each other, which, you know, it's not that they don't matter. It's that that's not the point. That's not the main focus. Um, and it's easy to lose that when you're trying to show other people in your department that you're serious, when you're being evaluated, anything like that. There's always this tension in STEM that, well, there's so many skills that needs to be uh, transferred and deposited into students' minds, skills, as opposed to like, well, I would love to do critical thinking, but there's all these skills that need to be, you know, you know, relayed to the students. It's like, you know, really, you know, they're, 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 you can do both. You don't, it's not mutually exclusive. You can address skills and, you know, appeal to authentic learning. Yeah, so let's, uh, you know, we're, we're getting towards the end here. We, we missed a few things. Let's, any closing thoughts? I want to hear um, Rhea and Mitzi, do you guys have any final thoughts? No. <laughs> it's, too, it's too late for final thoughts. Hey, I'm an hour later than y'all too, so it's getting to be late over here. Yeah. Um, I, I just think this was a really interesting conversation and I always like to hear the, the math perspective also. I think that makes for a richer conversation and thought process for me at least. Um, but I, this was really um, interesting and educational to hear everybody's perspectives on, on formative assessment and authentic assessment and, um, and band analogies and all of that good stuff. <laughs> yeah, it was great. Yeah. And I also don't, I think that um, the, a good takeaway is it, it isn't too late to start making more authentic assessments. It was not all that long ago that we had a reading department and the entire curriculum was built upon multiple choice tests for reading. And, you know, I just, I think we can, we can move away from that and, and not shame each other or beat ourselves up for methods that we've used because we, there's always, if you're open to doing it, you can, you can change it. That is a great way to end the episode. Um, so thank you so much for, for coming guys. Uh, Rhea, do you want to give us the sign off? See you next time. You filthy animals. Mm-hmm.